Good morning. Good morning. Can you hear me? Everyone's okay? Not well? Hello? This morning is on grace in the Virgin Mary. Uh, Today is also the Feast of the Annunciation. So even though it's been outranked by Palm Sunday this year, March 25th, is the Feast of the Annunciation. It is exactly nine months before December 25th, the birth of Jesus. Okay, he came right on time. Exactly. Okay. So that's why this Sunday School class is today. Uh, and I'm going to do something a little bit different. We're going to look at a lot of art. I'm going to read a poem. We're going to go through um, some scenes from Mary's life and try to find ourselves in her story. Okay. There we go. Okay. So it was on this day that we remember when the angel Gabriel surprised Mary with the news of our Savior's birth. That was Leonardo da Vinci. Um, The angel Gabriel came to her and said, Hail, full of grace. Or, greetings, highly favored one. Or, perhaps my favorite translation, Hail, thou who art freely beloved. I like that one. That's all the same Greek phrase. And he proceeded right after that to say, the Lord is with you. And I love that it begins with grace, a proclamation of grace that is already there in Mary's life. Um, Hail, full of grace, right? She's, there's already provided all the grace she needs to make this choice to consent to the rest of what the angel has to say about bearing the Son of God. We'll get there. So, hold on for my coffee. It's coming. Thank you. Yeah. The sacrament of coffee. Okay. Um, I want to read a poem entitled Annunciation by Denise Levertov. Um, We know the scene. The room, variously furnished, almost always a lectern, a book, always the tall lily. Arrived on solemn grandeur of great wings, the angelic ambassador, standing or hovering, whom she acknowledges, a guest. But we are told of meek obedience. No one mentions courage. 
the engendering spirit did not enter her without consent. God waited. So she was, she was free to accept or to refuse, choice integral to humanness. Aren't there enunciations of one sort or another in most lives? Some unwillingly undertake great destinies, enact them in sullen pride, uncomprehending. More often, those moments when roads of light and storm open from darkness in a man or a woman are turned away from, in dread, in a wave of weakness, in despair, and with relief. Ordinary lives continue. God does not smite them, but the gates close. The pathway vanishes. She had been a child who played, ate, slept like any other child, but unlike others, wept only for pity, laughed in joy, not triumph. Compassion and intelligence fused in her, indivisible. Called to a destiny more momentous than any in all of time, she did not quail, only asked a simple, how can this be? And gravely, courteously, took to heart the angel's reply, the astounding ministry she was offered. To bear in her womb infinite weight and lightness, to carry in hidden, finite inwardness nine months of eternity, to contain in slender vase of being the sum of power, in narrow flesh the sum of light, then bring to birth, push out into air, a man-child needing, like any other, milk and love. But who was God? This was the moment no one speaks of, when she could still refuse. A breath unbreathed, spirit suspended, waiting. She did not cry, I cannot, I am not worthy, nor I have not the strength. She did not submit with gritted teeth, raging, coerced. Bravest of all humans, consent illumined her. The room filled with its light, the lily glowed in it, the iridescent wings. Consent, courage unparalleled, opened her utterly. I love this poem. Uh, as a mother, I love this Bible story because I have um, found, I've been informed that I will bear a child, and there is always a mix of emotions. You know, there's this joy and anxiety and fear. And I just imagine what was that for Mary. Um, and I love these images because. They're all very different from across time, but there are some similarities, and there's one in particular I want to point out. Um, do you see the book lying on the ground there? There's a book in all of these. 
It's a very, very common theme in um, depictions of the Annunciation. So let me go back. Here she's reading again. Here's the book open on the lectern. There she's reading scripture. There the book is on her knee. This is a sign of humility, the crossing of the arms. Um, it's a very common motif in, in Marian art because the idea was whether she was literate or not in, in real life, she was prepared to receive the word of God. And so there's this um, analogy being made with the scripture and the word of God um, and the word of God, Jesus. Um, so that's, it's, Mary as scholar is a, is a motif. Um, and I just love that, that she loved the word. And I, and I think we can say for sure that she, whether, however she learned this, that she would have been steeped in uh, Torah and the prophets. I mean, she would have known you know, her stuff. Um, in this one in particular, you see that's Adam and Eve in the background there being escorted out of the garden by, by the angel. So this one is interesting in that you have the consequences of Eve's disobedience and the beginning of God's plan for restoration in the same painting. Uh, Mary is obedient to the word of God, accepts the word, um, and the work of the Holy Spirit in her life though Eve uh, disobeyed God's word. So there you go. Here's the dove just hovering over her. There she is again. The lily is uh, a symbol of purity, I believe. Any thoughts before I move on? I'll move on. But no. Uh, I like so I read this poem. I've I've known this poem for many years, and I one of the things I want to uh, take from it and how I've kind of gone forward with this lesson is that. The poet kind of draws this comparison between the Annunciation of Mary and Annunciations of a different sort in our own life. So, because we are all faced with choices, and God calls to us, and we're we're given these uh, of our own agency to choose: do we obey? Do we disobey? What do we do with this call that God has has announced to us? Um, do we accept the life God is offering us? Or do we say, mm -mm, no thanks? Um, may not be as momentous in terms of the plan of salvation as Mary's choice, but it, in our lives, it could be very consequential. Um, and I also love that Mary gets to ask a question. And in, this is all from Luke chapter 2, if you go 
uh, or chapters one and two. And it also depicts the birth of John the Baptist. And when Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, uh, gets the word that he will have a son, he asks a question and then gets struck mute for his lack of belief. But Mary gets to ask a question. And there's no consequence, I mean, you know, there's no reprimand there. And so it says to me that there is a way to ask questions. Like God allows us to ask questions. Um, and he knows our hearts, right? Like we're allowed to ask. There is a way to ask a question that's not unbelief, right? Um, or that's not just rebellion of some kind. Um, but God is waiting for our answer, too. Um, so from our very first introduction to Mary, this is in the Bible, the first we've... Uh, in the Gospel of Luke, the first we see her, uh, we can find ourselves in her story. Um, and so what I'm going to do is just go through some other scenes from Mary's life and find the church in her story. Because Mary could also be looked at as an icon of the church or um, a type of the church. Um, because she bears Christ into the world. And that's what we're also supposed to be doing. Um, so we can look to Mary to see an example of what it means to, to receive God's grace and to follow Jesus. Um, this one I like. Um, Again, as a, as a mother, I love this because it says to me that life, like there was real life in Mary, like in our world where abortion and just this idea that, you know, embryos aren't really people. But the incarnation has already begun. Um, the incarnation, as soon as Mary ascends, he's here. Right. So even in the womb, Jesus is already affecting things, you know, changing the world. Um, when Mary goes to uh, her cousin Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth, right, this is right after the Annunciation, she goes to visit her cousin, and Elizabeth says, you know, who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And it says that John the Baptist, who was in Elizabeth's womb at the time, left with joy, you know. So one of my prayers for all of my, my kids has been that even in the womb that they would rejoice in the presence of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, and that has been a great comfort to me, and a, a prayer that I've always prayed. Uh, so Mary is first, she's humble. Um, she is troubled at the angel's greeting. Okay, so an angel, I guess we'd have to imagine ourselves in this. Who knows what Gabriel really looked like, right? He comes, says, Hail Mary, full of grace, 
the Lord is with you. And she doesn't say, yeah, that's me. Yeah, you know. Uh, I am highly favored. I'm God's favorite. That's, that's me. Yes, hello, you know. No, she is, the text said she is troubled by this greeting and wondered, like, what, what is this? You know, so she is humble um, as we are to be humble. And she's obedient. Um, she said, I am the Lord's maidservant. Let it be to me according to his word. Here we have Mary comforting Eve. <laughs> uh, Eve is downcast, holding the apple. Uh, that's the serpent is wrapped around her leg there. Um, but Eve is stepping on the servant, the serpent rather, and just this is comforting. Or Mary is comforting Eve, oh. saying, "Don't worry. Don't worry." Oh. The name Eve means the mother of all living, and Mary, in this kind of contrast with Eve, is also the mother of all living in a in a different way. She is the mother of Christ and all who live eternally are part of his body, you know, the body of Christ. Um, she's the mother of the life, right? The way, the truth, and the life. Uh, Galatians 4, uh, 4 through 7, well, says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, that we might be adopted as sons. It also strikes me that Mary was obviously living this very patriarchal society. And if you remember any of your Greek myths or Roman myths, you know, there's a lot of ways that sons of gods can be born. And none of them are good, really. Um, you know. There's, there's lots of rape or there's, you know, weird stuff. You know, you might be coming out of somebody's head or, like, whatever. It's weird, you know. Um, and women were not valued. I mean, you know, we were, you know. And yet Christ got all of his humanity from Mary. He was born of woman. And it just struck me about how humble God is to come into the world in, in that way, right? Born of woman. Um, yeah.
Yeah. Yeah, humility, we see that humility is not actually in contrast to strength. Right. Yeah, it's part of it. Right. Yeah. I kind of think that the strength comes after humility. Once you say yes to God, then he who calls you also gives you the power to do it. Once you accept, the power is there and the strength is there. So obedience brings everything that God has. Okay. This is a Filipino rendition of the nativity. So the other thing that Mary is that we are also called to be is fruitful. Uh, I already said she is always, she's bearing Christ into the world. We also are to bear Christ into the world. We are to welcome Christ unexpectedly into our homes, into our families. And we bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Uh, This, is one, this one is hard to see, but she's um, washing the floor. There's a bucket, and she's washing the floor, and the little infant Jesus is just crawling around. I presume he's not helping. <laughs> um, he's just kind of hanging out with his mom. So she's the Lord's maidservant, and as I just thought, I've been thinking about Mary. You know, I signed up for this course like in the summer, so I've had time to think of her. And it, she's just such a model of service and love of the Lord in very prosaic, domestic ways, right? Um, she serves Christ as his mother, um, in daily, relentless, menial, you know, menial tasks. She does whatever the first century equivalent of changing his diaper would have been. You know, she prepares his food. She cleans up after him. Um, she does this all in ordinary domestic life with volunteer labor, uh, presumably receiving few thanks with Jesus, um, would have honored his father and mother, right, according to the law, and might have said thanks to his mom, <laughs> more than other children, maybe. Uh, but, but still, let's go. I mean, you know, this was not like um, work that would have been praised around the town, right? Um, she's not. She's just motivated by love to serve Christ in whatever way she can find to do it in her ordinary life. And that's how like the Lord wants me to serve him as well. Right? Like this is just in our ordinary lives in in small but faithful 
constant ways um, that may not get a lot of attention or a lot of praise, but she's there. I mean, we don't even, Jesus doesn't begin his ministry till he's 30, you know. So she spends a lot of years in relative obscurity just being his mom, you know. Um, so this is, she really is the Lord's maidservant. She was right about that. This is an image of, there's, Jesus is in the center with the uh, scrolls. And this is when he's in the temple. And Mary and Joseph are in that door in the background. Uh, this is in that kind of odd story that I didn't know exactly what to do with about um, when Mary and Joseph lose Jesus. They, they're traveling uh, home from Jerusalem and they thought he, he was, he's like 12 or, you know, they thought he was with somebody else and they get three days down the road and realize, oh no, where is he? And he's nowhere. And they have to go back and retrace their steps and figure out where did we leave him? You know, where did he go? And I always thought, this is just kind of a weird, like, why is this in the gospel? You know, I just, um, he's gone for three days. This might be a hint at uh, the three days that he is gone in the tomb. Um, but I, I, I think it, it is also when I look from Mary's perspective, um, a story about just being relentless in our pursuit of Jesus. That we might think we have him with us and somewhere he gets lost, we get lost. And they just go, they have to retrace all their stuff. They go everywhere and they search until they find him again. Um, they search, they search until they find him. And, and he says, well, don't you know I would be in my father's house? You know, he has the words of life. Like, where else are we to go? That, that, is, that is where we will find him. Uh, so we are to be relentless and persistent as Mary. And since it is Holy Week, we are looking forward, looking ahead to uh, Good Friday. She's there at the cross, and she stays close to Jesus to the last. Um, I'm going to read a few stanzas about um, half of this poem. Uh, called the Stabat Mater, the Sorrowful Mother. It dates back to the 13th century. It's originally in Latin, so there's lots of variations. Um, but it's, it's meant to be read in between the stations of the cross. So on Friday, you can think about that. Um. At the cross, her station keeping, stood the mournful mother weeping. 
close to Jesus to the last. Through her soul of joy bereaved, bowed with anguish, deeply grieved, now at length the sword hath passed. Oh, that blessed one, grief-laden, blessed mother, blessed maiden, mother of the all-holy one. Oh, that silent, ceaseless morning, oh, those dim eyes, never turning from that wondrous suffering son, who, on Christ's dear mother gazing in her trouble so amazing, born of woman, would not weep. For his people's sins and anguish, there she saw the victim languish, bleed in torments, bleed and die. Saw the Lord's anointed taken, saw her child in death forsaken, heard his last expiring cry. Jesus, may her deep devotion stir in me the same emotion, fount of love. Redeemer kind. That's only about half the poem. It appropriately goes on and talks more about Jesus. So I'm going to cut it off. It's fairly long. Um, sometimes it does feel like Good Friday. Our greatest hopes are met with failure. Our dreams are on the cross. Our beloved is dying. And all seems like it's lost. And Mary shows us again what to do because she just stays with Jesus. She weeps by the cross, but she stays. I, I have to tell a personal story here, because when my, um, when my second son, or my, my first son, my second child, Austin, was born, uh, we just celebrated his fifth birthday yesterday, uh, but when he was born, uh, he was in the NICU for 17 days. Uh, it was a very, I, I, we would have both died without modern medicine. I mean, um, there was a, an infection. I, I, we contracted a, an infection during labor. I had a fever, and that was the, during labor, and that was the first kind of negative sign. Uh, and he was born with an APGAR score of two. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but they score babies. It's, it's from zero, to, zero would be dead, 10 is good, to, you know. Um, and he was initially at two, which I think means basically he had a heartbeat, but he wasn't breathing. And he was limp. So the NICU team, I mean, there was a team of doctors and nurses and all who took them took him immediately and began to work on him. And they got him, you know, a little bit, they got him to breathe. Um, and they brought him over to me for a hug. 
and, and really that was just, and then immediately took him to the NICU and hooked him up to all sorts of monitors and an IV full of antibiotics and oxygen. And then I proceeded to hemorrhage, so I had to stay hooked up for a while um, to, all, to an IV myself um, while they got me stable. Um, and I couldn't hold him for three days. That was, that was probably the worst part. But when I was finally cleared the next morning to go down and to see him in the NICU, um, I mean, I couldn't hold him. He was just there in his little bassinet. And the, the, the helplessness was just overwhelming, and I couldn't stay there very long. Uh, I, I wanted to be there, but I couldn't hold him. There was nothing I could do. And, you know, I sang to him a little bit, you know, but oh, I just couldn't, I couldn't stay there for hours. I mean, I had nothing else to do. I was in the hospital. I had hours upon hours to stay there, and I couldn't do it. And I remember so wanting to bargain with God. Um, but I knew I had nothing actually to bargain with um, because I, I really wanted to say, you know, you, you bring my son through this or I'm done. But I clear, like I knew in my heart even at that moment no, you could take my son and I would still be a Christian. And, and I have nothing else to bargain with that's not, I have nothing to give you that's not already owed to you. What I am completely at the mercy of God and it was terrifying. Uh, and thankfully, he did live and the antibiotics were effective and he went home, and he's uh, had no long-term negative repercussions. Um, but I'll never forget that moment, th th those days in the NICU where early on, we didn't know what the bac bacterial infection was. He was still on oxygen needing, you know. It was just very scary. And so years after that, I thought of Mary at the cross because I don't know what Jesus told her. You know, he tried to tell his disciples that he was going to die and be raised again, but they didn't get it. I don't know if Mary would have understood. But I almost think that doesn't matter because she loved her son, and she was just going to stay with him. Um, like... It's not necessarily that she had hope or that she, she was so full of faith, though she may have been, but it's just her love. They had her baby boy on a cross, and she was just not going to leave. And it, there's no, I looked, there's no tale of Jesus and Mary meeting after the resurrection. It's as if 
that moment was too precious even to be recorded recorded in scripture. Um, not, none of the apostles would even dare to to share that because what must have that been like to see your son alive again before you? Um, and it's not yet Easter for us. Um, But we know Easter is coming. So, um, any questions, comments, right now? I could go on, but I don't have. To. Yeah, Matt. Bethany. So we don't have Mary for Lent. She, yeah. She disappears from her little spot there. But because you chose to linger on this slide. The station right next to it, I realized that's a, it, precisely the same thing. Mm. And so she's there even through Lent for us as well. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. We know that Mary remained a disciple of her son, so that we, we see her next on the day of Pentecost. Uh, she was in the upper room with the rest of the disciples. So that's, this is appropriate, of course, because this day is the birth of the church uh, when the Holy Spirit descends and brings uh, life uh, to the apostles and to all those who say with Mary, you know, let it be. And the rest is history, kind of literally, because um, we don't really hear from Mary after that in Scripture. Uh, her last words, interestingly, are actually at the wedding of Cana, when she says to the servant, do whatever Jesus tells you to do. That is all, it's like she had said her piece there. There's nothing more needed to be added to her scriptural account. Just, I'll go out with that. Do whatever my son tells you to do. Uh, this is for real uh, a photo from her, um, probably her last home in Ephesus in modern Turkey. My sister-in-law is actually in Turkey and she has she went there earlier this year so that was cool because um, when Jesus gives his mother to the Apostle John remember when he says from the cross behold your mother and to Mary behold your son John takes Mary into his care and he later goes to plant churches in Ephesus um, and so she goes with him, and there, and that's probably where she died. Um, which just strikes me that she was a real person. You know, we're we're so grounded in history in Christianity, um, and then, of course. This is an image of Jesus. She's coming out of the, uh, the casket there. 
and there's an angel helping, but Jesus has come down out of heaven to, to lift her up, take her to be with him. And that's our destiny, too, as the church. Um, one day we'll, we will reign with King Jesus forever. And I looked at the time and then I forgot. Okay. So in, in, to close, nobody loves you like your mama loves you. <laughs> this is true. This is true. My mom is here. And I know with my kids, yeah, nobody loves you like your mother loves you. And nobody loves Jesus like Mary loves Jesus. Um, her, sto her soul magnifies the Lord, she says. And I, I think that's literally true. Like we can look at Mary and, and we understand Jesus better, right? We see him clearly. Um, that's a good rule of thumb for any kind of theological claim about Mary it's actually about Jesus. You know, it's, it's, it's everything we might say about Mary is really a statement about who Jesus is. Um, one the good analogy that I found was that Mary is like the moon. Right? She shines bright in the darkness, but she has no light of her own. Everything is a reflection of her son who is the light of the world. And that's who our, I mean, this is who we are also called to be. You know. um, we are to bring that light out into the world. So, any other comments, questions? Anything? No. She's a great companion for this week to come. Bethany, thank you for personal sharing for this. This was really important for us. Thank you. Thank you.